We have been in the Gospel of John, and we are part, Pearlside Church is part of a global spiritual family called Every Nation Churches and Ministries, and we are preaching on the same text and preaching the same messages, obviously with different nuances depending on your location. But John, the Apostle John, writes about the seven miracles that Jesus did, and I know there were many other miracles, but John was emphasizing that the miracles that Jesus Christ performed was so that people's hearts and people's focuses would be pointed toward Jesus Christ. So we read here in John chapter 20, the purpose of the writings of these miracles it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. So there were many other miracles which were not written in this particular book, but these were written so that you may believe. Everybody say believe. A little, lo little louder. Believe. No, no, like, like you're the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, that was weak. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I lost half the church and offended the other half. Okay. We're believing at 1.30 p.m. All right. All right. We may believe, let's get back to the message, <laughs> that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The performing of miracles, the miraculous power of God was so that people's hearts would turn to Christ. When God moves in your life, it's just not to receive the power and, and the healing and the provision. It, it is so that you would believe in Jesus Christ and believe that there is life. And the scripture is very clear that there will be abundant life that accompanies the power and presence of Jesus Christ. Because when we encounter Jesus, he heals us, he provides for us, but he also sets us free and he gives us life, new life, the abundant life and eternal life as we decide to believe in him. Place our faith in him, surrender our lives to him, and walk in faith and obedience to his word. That life in his name describes a freedom that can only come through Jesus Christ. I heard a pastor say this phrase, and it caught my attention. He said this, Jesus wants us to be free in 23. How many want to be free in 23? Five of you. How many want to be free in 23? I think all of us in some area of our life, if not our entire life, want to be free in 23. We want to see the breakthrough that God has spoken over our lives to happen in 23. But as we read this particular passage, this text, I want us to not just read it logically. Sometimes we read scripture and we read it logically. But I want us to put our five senses into what is transpiring with this encounter with Jesus and this paralytic, paralyzed man. I remember when I was on leading mission trips or on mission trips, I would go to various nations of the world. And in some of these locations, the host pastor, the host ministry would take me to the slum areas of these nations. And so I've been into the slums of Nepal, been into the slums of India, been to the slums in Manila. And I've been through these places, and most times you see despair. You see despondent people. You see people who are sick, who are dying, who are hurting, who, are, who have lost hope. And accompanying that, not only do you see it, you smell it. Come on, let's be real. When you are in these areas, how many have been to Chinatown lately, right? If you go to certain places in Chinatown, ooh, that ain't dim sum, that's something else. All right? 
And when you're in these desolate places, there is an odor, there is a stench that comes with it. Not only is there a physical stench, there is a spiritual stench, a stench of the deadness, of despair, of hopelessness. I remember a certain portion of my time, I lived in an orphanage in Manila. It was not funded by the city, by the state, or by the federal government. So it was in disarray. It was broken down. But in those three months that I lived in that orphanage, I sensed the power and presence of God like I'd never have in my life. Tending to orphans, tending to sick and dying people, it was a wonderful experience. Now, the living conditions, not so wonderful. But it was wonderful to see the power and presence of God breaking out all throughout the city. Well, let's read in John chapter 5 with that backdrop in mind. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roof colonnades or porches. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I am going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. That man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence already in this place, Lord God. As we continue to believe for it, Lord God, whatever it is in our life, I pray that your presence and your power will show up in mighty and amazing ways. We open our hearts to you. Let your Holy Spirit illuminate your word. In Jesus' name, we all together say amen and amen. Let's take a look from the chosen series on how this encounter with Jesus and the paralyzed man took place. Take a look. Shalom. <laughs> Me. Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water?
Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. You're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need me. So, do you want to be healed? Like he said, don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. One encounter with Jesus changes everything. Can I hear amen? Let me give you a little backdrop to that time and space. In that day, there were a lot of people erecting and creating these healing shrines. And they were all over the city. And along with the healing shrine was a pool of water, usually reserved so that people could do some ritualistic cleansing. Well, this particular pool in Bethsaida was not just a pool. Some of us think pool, swimming pool, jacuzzi, maybe Olympic-sized swimming pool. This particular pool was the length of a football field. 
It was large. Everybody say large. It was large. It was huge. And surrounding these, this pool was five colonnades or five porticos or five large porches. And so not only were there hundreds of sick, infirm people, but probably thousands of people gathered there looking and waiting to be healed. So three things I want to leave with us out of this particular passage of Scripture. Number one, Jesus sees and shows compassion. Jesus sees and shows compassion. If you go back to verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? This lame, nameless man had been infirm, paralyzed for 38 years. Scripture is not very clear. Maybe the possibility of his entire lifespan, probably longer. There in his misery. And I think sometimes in our life, even in our own day, in our own context, many people are looking for the answers for life. They're looking to things. In, figuratively, in society, we are surrounded by lame, blind, infirm, paralyzed people looking for answers, looking for healing. Something in their life to heal them emotionally, spiritually, financially, mentally, relationally. People are looking for answers. People are looking for healing. Ultimately, outside of Christ, all you find is broken promises and broken and shattered pieces. People lying around in, in various coping mechanisms looking for answers and hoping that they would be healed. Well, thousands of people gathered there waiting for the moment when the water would be stirred. And I, I, I don't want to go theologically too deep in this, but in your Bible, you're probably missing verse 4 in your Bible if you really look at that passage. In some versions of the Bible, verse 4 is there. And theologians are very unclear, uncertain, because there is no quantifiable evidence that anybody actually got healed when the water was stirred. Some theologians believe the water was stirred only once a year. And so all of thousands of people waiting for that water to be stirred. Some theologians believe this, that pool of water was fed by an underground spring that which caused the water to boil and to bubble up. And so here this man for 38 years probably was believing in a man-made myth Believing in something that would give him his healing. Give, believe in something that would give him his freedom. Believe in something that would set him free. I wonder if that's true for our lives. We believe in so many things, the quick fixes of life, to give us peace, to give us a better relationship, to give us providence in our life. But only, it will only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I hear Amen. Jesus asked this man, do you want to be healed? It was a very compassionate question. And this paralytic man fires back and tells Jesus the reality of his living condition. He says in verse 7, I have no one, no friends, no one to help me, to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. The house of Bethsaida actually means this. It's the house of grace. It's the house of kindness. 
It's the house of gentleness. It is the house of mercy. And I love that. God pours out his grace and his mercy and his kindness to us when we allow him to do that. Can I hear amen? But all the paralyzed man could see in his life was the current condition he was in. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I've been trying on my own for 38 years, and it is not working. He, he's describing his challenge. It has now become his identity in life. I am paralyzed, Jesus. I can't get to the place of healing. And I love this about Jesus. Jesus comes to him instead. Jesus healed this man, not because of this man's faith, because this man had no faith. This man didn't even know that the healing that could come to his life was standing right in front of him. He didn't know who Jesus was. He kept on saying, the man, the man. That tells me that this person didn't hear about the miraculous signs and wonders, the miracles that Jesus was performing all throughout the other regions. That word, that news didn't come to this man because all this man knew was misery, pain, and despair. It was hopeless for him. But Jesus healed this man because he loved this man. There was compassion that came out of his life for this man. Jesus heals the crowds. But in this moment, he came to this man personally, individually. And that should speak to all of us that Jesus cares for you. Jesus sees what you're going through. Jesus has compassion for the challenges, maybe the areas of hopelessness, maybe the areas that you have given up on. Jesus sees that, and he wants a personal relationship with you. He was interested in this man's desires. That's why scripture is very clear. Express your desires to him, and if it aligns up to his will, he will move. He will pour out. He will provide. In this one moment, he was ministering not to the crowds. He was ministering to this man. He was coming to this man. This place was a place of disease. It was a place of brokenness. It was a place where all hope was lost. And I love this about Jesus. Jesus walked right into that place. He didn't go around that place. He intersected himself and placed himself right into the misery and pain and situations of life that this man was facing. And he came to him. And I believe that is the word of God for you. He's coming to you. He is for you because he loves you. He brings his power to those who need it. This is a place where the marginalized gathered, where the invisible people gathered. The people that were disregarded or discarded in society, these were the people that were gathered there, and this was such a man. But Jesus loved him, and Jesus came to him. And I want to say to you, he comes to you. He comes to you. He comes to you. He comes to you. Because he loves you. Can I hear a strong amen? Second thing we find here is that Jesus not only heals us, but he frees us. Gives us healing and freedom. Verse 8 says, Jesus said to the man, said to the man, get up. Get up. Everybody say, get up. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. 
Jesus brings his presence into the circumstances of life that you are facing, and he speaks the word that brings life, that brings freedom. We read on. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews, religious rulers, said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. They weren't even asking about the healing. They were more interested about what he was doing, not what had happened to him. So the man had to say, the man healed me. That man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Sometimes we focus on the wrong things. But when Jesus encounters us, he focuses on us on him. His healing, his power, his provision. I want to say this to you. Sometimes when the Lord speaks to you, in fact, most times when the Lord speaks to you, the devil will come along, along the backside and speak doubts to you and plant seeds of doubt in your life. Over a week and a half ago, we had three nights of prayer and fasting. And there was one story that, that, that was shared in our staff meeting on Wednesday. And it was so amazing, I got excited. There was a woman who had come for prayer. And one of, someone that was just near her in a moment of prayer prayed for this woman. This woman couldn't hear for many years. And as we were in a quiet moment of prayer, the person was praying softly. It was a whisper. Lord, heal this woman. Heal this woman. And all of a sudden, this woman said she heard a boop in her ear. And she told the lady that was praying for her, they don't even know each other. <laughs> it was close up. There was no COVID transmission. The woman said, I can hear you whispering. I've never heard a whisper for years. She was instantly healed. She could hear. That happened right here a week and a half ago. That's the power of God. That's the power of the miraculous. That's the power that he wants to unleash in and through our life. Can I hear amen? But the devil will plant seeds of doubt. Did you really hear the word of God? Did you really encounter his presence? Was Jesus really standing there? Did Jesus really come to you? The world will try to downplay your healing and your freedom. I remember when I decided to come back to Christ. There was two years of my life where I ran from God. I'm so glad that God does not give up on us. I tried to do everything possible to run and hide from God and run as far as away I could from God in church. But God kept on pursuing me. And so when I finally came back into a relationship with Christ, all of my friends that were with me for the two years put seeds of doubt in my life and in my ear. They said, oh, Paris, that's just a fad. You're doing that church thing? No, that's a cult. Come on, they do weird things. They raise their hand. They sit down, stand up, fight, fight, fight. Right? They do all these things. And then you have to give them money? Come on. That's crazy. But I encountered Jesus. I encountered his presence. I encountered his freedom in such a dramatic way and it told me that he loved me, that he exists, that he is for me, and I never turned back. But these friends, they kept on harassing me. No, 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 that's just so fast. It'll come and go. But I had to stand firm on his word. I had to walk by faith and obedience. To this day, there are some people that I've worked with in years in the past that I had relationship with decades, and they go, oh, my God. 
gosh, sorry. You're what? You're a pastor? I can't believe it. And they still doubt that. My mom still doubts that. <laughs> I hope you're not watching, Mom. I love you. You're a pastor? And the world will try to put down and, and, and downplay your healing and your freedom, but we need to stand in faith. Can I hear amen? This man was putting his trust in myths, in old wives' tales, if I can say that. But we need to put our trust in God, that he exists and that he is powerful and that he loves us. I, went, I was on a trip to Nepal one day and uh, a season in my life, and the pastor said, hey, um, can, you, can you go with me and, and your, your team up to this temple? I went, why do I want to go to a temple? I'm a Christian. I don't need to go to a temple. He said, no, I want you to see something in this temple. So we went up, long drive up to the temple, up in the mountains. And then as we were walking, he said, I want you to see what's happening here. And there was a pathway that, was, that you could walk on entering the temple. And there were these large prayer wheels, probably larger than this table here. And it, you, people would turn it. And as they were turning these wheels, they were, they were uttering prayers. And he said, just watch. And hundreds of people were walking down, turning these prayer wheels and crying out, some very loudly. I was kind of shocked by it. And he said this, these people are putting their faith in man-made objects to bring healing, to bring provision. Aren't we glad that we can just go to Christ? The power of the Holy Spirit, through him and only through him do we have freedom and healing, provision and peace and grace and joy and all of the things that comes with him, but it only comes through him. Can I hear a strong amen? Jesus was willing to break the rules of society and the religious practices at that time. You couldn't do any work on the Sabbath. So the religious rulers, they weren't concerned that this man was healed. They weren't glad that this man was healed. They weren't glad that this man had newfound freedom. All they were concerned about was why is he picking up his mat? Why is he walking? Why is he doing work? And Jesus came and busted right through all of that religious thought. And all of that religious rules and regulations. He says, I'm coming. And I'm pouring out my spirit. And I'm going to heal and set this man free. But this paralyzed man had to make a decision. He had to trust God at his word. When God spoke, he had to believe. And then he had to take action. Sometimes I wonder when God speaks, we kind of wait. Are you sure, God? Are you sure it was God? I want to tell you, if God speaks to you, it is God. And he is a man of his word. He is a man of his promise. And when he, was, when he says he will do something, he will do something in your life. Come on, somebody got to get excited about that. Five of you. That must be 49er fans. I'm sorry. That was uncalled for. But this paralyzed man had to put his faith in Christ at his word. He had to pick up his mat, and then he had to walk. 
I'm sure all the other people were looking at what was going on, going, what is going on? This man, I know him. He's been there for 38 years. So long that probably his, he had a sign on that space, a parking reserve. <laughs> they knew him. They saw him for 38 years in his misery, in his brokenness, in his place of uh, uh, losing hope. And then they saw him walking in freedom, in liberty, in joy. That's what God can do for all of us. But he had to decide to walk. He had to believe Jesus at his word. I know this to be true. Jesus comes and breaks the links of bondages and chains off of our life. But it is our responsibility to remove all of those chains and walk out in freedom. Can I hear a strong amen? amen. Jesus Christ will break open that lock of the prison doors in your life. But it is your responsibility to open those doors and walk out in faith and obedience to his word. Can I hear a stronger amen? amen? Online, say amen. Type amen. Respond. Don't just eat your Portuguese sausage and eggs and rice and sit there on your couch. Come on. Woo, the caffeine is kicking in, baby. Stand firm on the word of God. Exercise faith in obedience to the word of God. He took up his mat and he walked. And finally, in closing, powerful guest testimony this morning. Jesus commands us to, not, to also walk in freedom. Continue to walk in freedom. Verse 14 says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. I love this about Jesus. Jesus sought this man out. This man received his healing. And he forgot to go find Jesus, the man who healed him. He was walking around in freedom, having a good old time, having conversations, talking to people. I'm sure people were shocked. But Jesus sought him out. Jesus came to him. And I love this. Jesus continues to pursue us even at times we forget about him. The scripture is very clear that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ pursues us. I'm so glad that Christ did not give up on pursuing me when I tried my best to run away from him. He continued to pursue me. His people were praying. My mom was praying. My mom was bugging me. Hallelujah. Thank God for godly moms. Come on. I'm so glad that Jesus did not give up on me. But Jesus also confronts this man in his sin. Theologians aren't very clear on what that particular sin was. Maybe it was sins of doubt. We don't know. Maybe he was using his infirmity to make money. We don't know. But all Jesus said is, don't sin no more. And that to me speaks to me that don't doubt me any longer. Trust me at my word. Walk in faith, walk in obedience to my word. Jesus doesn't just give us our healing, but he desires to cleanse us and to keep us free from sin. It takes a lifestyle repentance and reliance on the Holy Spirit in order to continue to walk in freedom. That's why Romans 5.20, the words of the Apostle Paul says, where sin increased, where darkness increased, grace increased all the more. And I know this in our lives, in our communities, maybe in our homes, on our campuses, where we're at. There's a lot of issues of sin and a lot of issues of darkness and a lot of issues of brokenness. In those areas, in those places, in our hearts, in our minds, 
the grace of God increases more. Something we miss in this particular passage of Scripture that John put emphasis on. He didn't have to put it in this Scripture, but he wrote about it. He described the location, this pool of Bethsaida, a place of grace, a place of gentleness, a place of kindness. Right? Scripture says it's his loving kindness that draws us to repentance, a place of mercy. And in this area, there was five colonnades, five coverings, hundreds and thousands of people under these, these coverings. Five in Scripture is a number of grace. It's interesting why John put this in this particular passage of Scripture. And I think sometimes we miss it. I almost missed it. And it tells me this, that while we are waiting for our healing, for our breakthrough, for our provision, God's grace covers us. God's grace covers us. His presence covers us. These coverings protected thousands of people from the elements, from the harsh Mediterranean sun, desert sun. And they were covered. They were provided for while they were waiting for their healing. In the same way, whatever you're walking through, whatever situation, valley moment that you are walking in, Jesus' grace is covering you. He is with you. His presence goes before you. And I think sometimes we forget that. We don't realize that, that God is with us, even though we may not even recognize that he is with us. But as we walk in faith and obedience, he will heal us. He will set us free. He will deliver us, and he will give us new life. Willem Lyle is a dear friend. Some of you know him. Some of you may not know him. He is the father of Dr. Pastor Billy Lyle. Um, we have struck up a friendship, probably now a decade of friendship. We met each other over, a little over 10 years ago now. Um, but there is always a story behind the story. So can we welcome Willem Lyle to the stage as my guest testimony? Come on. When you look at him, you think, oh, handsome bugger. <laughs> Put together, well-spoken. Looks like everything in his life has gone well. Some of you know his story. Some of you may not. But I want to revisit the story behind the story in order to see the goodness of God. And so growing up, you had a difficult life. Uh, and sometimes we look at this now, but it wasn't this now. There were some valley moments in life. Can you share with us? Hi, everyone. Um, at a very young age, I didn't know it at the time, but both my parents were alcoholics, dysfunctional. Life at home was chaotic. You never know which parent you're going to get that night. And so I grew up with, with a lot of violence. My father was very violent when he drank, so he would beat my mom, and at times he would beat me too. But it, it, it just was a very chaotic time. And by God's grace, I made it through high school, and I made it through high school. I almost quit, but I, I finished. And um, 
I got, uh, I met Billy's mom. She was my high school sweetheart. We got married, and in 1980, Billy was born. And shortly after that, I was introduced to Crystal Meth, which took me on a 17-year addiction, darkness, and eventually living on the streets, being homeless for about a year and a half to two years. And then um, a chance encounter with HPD and all the surrounding elements there. You ended up in prison, sentenced, locked up in jail. Kind of like this paralytic man, nowhere to go, no one around to help you. But I love this. Jesus encountered you in that prison, and he came to you. Describe to us those moments. Well, I got arrested one night in a game room, like Pastor Paris said, and I was, I was arrested on a Friday night. Court was Monday, so I was three, three nights in cell block, and I smoked cigarettes a lot. I was, I, so in other words, I was struggling with coming. I, I wanted cigarettes. I was going through all of these withdrawals for cigarettes, for my drugs, and eventually I ended up going to um, OCCC, and they put me in a, in a room, or excuse me, a cell, which is designed for two people. So there's a bunk bed, and I was sleeping on the floor on a mat. And I remember when I got in that room, I remember laying down, and I just was feeling sick. I, I couldn't barely keep my eyes open. I just wanted to go to sleep, and then I heard singing. And I'm thinking, like, what the heck are these guys so happy about? Come on, this is jail. So I remember pulling my blanket over my head, getting in a fetal position facing the wall. And then the next thing I know that I remember is I'm walking towards the singing. I don't remember getting up. I don't remember walking out of the room. I just remember walking towards the singing. And at the door was this big Hawaiian guy. I mean, he was so big, he practically covered the whole door. And just when I got close, he turned around. And he, and he saw me, and I went, whoa. So I tried to go back to my room, and he said, brah, come. And I said, no, no, I'm good. He goes, brah, come. I'm like, no, I'm good. He goes, brah, come. I said, okay. <laughs> so I went. <laughs> he stood up, moved the chair, told me to go in. He was holding a guitar, and he told two guys to move, you know, make room for him to sit on the bunk. And so I sat down, and I was like, man. And then a guy from the top passes me a paper with the songs written on it. But, of course, I didn't sing. I was, like, in a daze. I, I was really feeling the withdrawals. And, and so we went through that. And then the ACO came, in, in, and he says, uh, you guys got to finish this up. You got two minutes, and we're locking down. So I was thinking, like, okay, good. I can go lay down. And so the guy stopped singing. And then so I stood up to walk out. And he stood up, pushed the chair in the middle of the room, and he told me to sit down. And I was like, okay. So I sat down. And then everybody got off the bunk. They got around me. Everybody was laying hands on me. And he started praying for covering for my family, covering for my family, covering for my kids. He didn't know me, so he was just praying in general. But then he knew, I guess, that I was suffering from addiction. So he really started praying for God to remove that addiction in me, to take away whatever drugs I was on, to set me free. And so I'm sitting there, I'm listening to all of this, and I look around, everybody got their eyes closed, so I close my eyes, and I felt tapping on my shoulder. So I look up, and here's this big guy who doesn't even know me, and he's bawling. I mean, he's crying to her tears, are just running down his face. And, of course, I found out later that was the Holy Spirit, but at the time, I thought that was weird. And so finally, he stopped. The ACO came back. We had to go back to our rooms. I remember going and laying down. 
and within seconds I was out. The next thing I know, it's morning, and here's this guy pounding on my door. Brah, get up, breakfast. And I'm like, dang, this guy. So I covered my head again, tried to go to sleep. He just kept on pounding. So finally I stood up and I went, and he goes, come on, let's go, breakfast. You got to go this way. And after breakfast, we're going Bible study. I was like, Bible study? I didn't even know what that is. What is this guy talking about? So anyway, um, I sat down. He showed me where to go, what to do. And while eating, I, was, I just noticed that what took me 17 years and I could never achieve, God took away my addiction that night. And I woke up the next morning eating breakfast free. And I never felt freer in my life. Though physically I was locked up, I never felt freer in my life that morning. Whew. Sometimes God allows us to hit rock bottom. To be in a place where we have lost all hope. We have looked for answers and it was never found. But Jesus found you. But not only does he heal you, he restores key relationships in your life. The key relationship in your life. Tell us about that, Billy. Well, in prison, they have pastors who come different, different days of the week. But this one pastor really... Um, spoke to me and he told us that group that was there in, in his Bible study that we needed to start praying now for what we wanted when we get out. Don't wait till you get out to start praying. He told us to start praying today. So of course then and he said that God will answer all our prayers. So of course I had a, a whole shopping list of all the things I wanted God to do and God answered almost all of them. But the main one was I wanted a relationship with my son to be restored. I remember I had one phone call from my mom, and she told me that that you that your son is so embarrassed of you that he wants to change his name, and that broke my heart. But you know that gave me even I think more of the drive to change my life, and you know God's been faithful in that. When I got out, I remember calling him up, like I'm thinking like, oh, this is going to be good because God said He's going to restore. So I'm calling him up. He doesn't answer. So I call up, I leave messages. We didn't have cell phones. It was a regular phone like, son, where's my fishing poles? Call me. No answer. Son, where's my tools? You see my baseball glove? I mean, I was calling, leaving all kinds of crazy messages, just trying to get him to respond to me, but nothing. But one day I called, and he answered the phone. And this was months later, so I believe God wasn't just working on me. He was working yeah. on him. But he answered the phone, probably still didn't trust me, I said I wanted to meet up. He said, well, I'll meet you at, we're going to be at Japanese Chamber of Commerce for a conference. I'll meet you there. I guess he was afraid to be alone with me. I don't know. So anyway, we go to the conference. I'm standing there in the back, and I see this skinny kid come walking past. He, I didn't recognize him. He didn't recognize me. He just looked at me. He said, is that you, Dad? And I knew it was him. So then... That night, we met at my mom's house. We stayed up till like 1 o'clock in the morning, maybe for three hours, just talking, me apologizing for being the jerk I was, the bad dad, asking for his forgiveness. We cried. We hugged. And that was the start. It wasn't perfect, but it was the start of him and me beginning our relationship. So not only did God heal you, he restored the most critical relationship in your life. I remember um, I actually met your sister before I met any of the, you and your family, 
And she was part of our worship team at back at Grace on the Lou. And she would always say, pray for my brother, William. Pray for him. And so we got the church praying, people praying for you, all behind the scenes, and God was pursuing you. Now, fast forward, things are changing in your life. Uh, but now God wants to take you to the next level. And so I don't know how you ended up here, but you ended from, from prison to the palace. <laughs> and working for Pearlside Church, how did all that transpire? Well, when I got out of prison, um, I was working for a textile company. But shortly after there, I got involved because my brother was working at the convention center. So he got me a part-time job. So I was working two jobs. And I started off scrubbing floors and washing pots and pans. That was my, my job. But eventually, God was faithful because I kept on doing everything the right way. I was following him. I was putting him first. That God promoted me from that job to eventually managing my own department in the food and beverage department in the convention center. Yeah. So it was all truly God. Well, going through those years, I was there for 15 years. Um, one day, I get a call from Pastor Norman, and he goes, have you ever thought of working for a church? I said, no. He said, would you ever want to work for um, Pearlside? I said, no, back then it was Grace Bible Church, Pearlside. I said, no. He told me, pray on it. I'll call you back. I said, okay. I'm like crazy. I'm not going to pray on that. So anyway, because I thought I was, I thought I was going to retire there, right? I'm 60-something years old. I'm going to retire soon. But anyway, so my, I told my boss, and he laughed. He said, are you going to go? I said, heck no. So it was, I just forgot about it. But unconsciously, for some reason, I started putting all my personal belongings in a box. I thought I was just cleaning up. And my boss walked by one day. He goes, are you going? I said, no. Why are you putting it in a box? I said, I'm just taking stuff home. Okay. Following week or two weeks later, I get another call. This was probably the second or the third call. Pastor Norman said, did you pray on it? And I'm thinking, no, but I didn't say that. He goes, what, what, are, you, what are you gonna, what do you think? Are you gonna come? My brain said no, but out of my mouth said yes. And I went, shucks, now I got to tell my boss. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he gave me his blessing and everything went smoothly. And I ended up at ProSide as the operations director. Did that for about five years, I think yeah. it is. And one day, Pastor Kathy comes walking in. I mean, she's asked me to help her with different ministries, but I always felt overwhelmed with ops because I had to take care of the building and do ops. And we went through construction in ELNI1, Kids Church was being built, a lot was going on. So I always said no. And one day she walks in and she goes, have you ever thought of doing a recovery program with us? Pastor Norman is thinking of doing this. And I went, no, but my mouth said, sure. She's like, oh. <laughs> she said, I'm surprised you said that. I said, me too. <laughs> but we did it. And, and, you know, we started in November of 2019 with just two facilitators and four people, six people. Today, we do it every Monday night at 6.30 here in this worship hall. And it's not, we, I thought it was just for people with addiction. But Celebrate Recovery is for anyone who has a hurt, hang-up, or habit. And the addiction is just about one-third of, of the people that show up. Celebrate Recovery has been around for over 31 years, so it works. So that's what we're involved in now every yeah. Monday night. We're from 6 to 60 people every single Monday night. And the story continues. We believe God is going to add and God is going to use CR for even greater things ahead. Parting shot. This is your moment. Maybe people are like that paralytic man have given up. 
They have tried everything in life to search for their healing, for their restoration, for their breakthrough, but nothing has worked. Maybe for some, they have given up hope. Maybe God has spoken to them, and they put it on the shelf. Maybe God is saying, it's time to take it off the shelf and walk in faith and obedience. What would you say to us? What I would say is, I would not be here if I didn't have a mom, a son, and a church praying for me. I truly believe God orchestrated my rock bottom at the right time, with the right place, with the right people in a prison to turn my life around. And I want to just tell you, if you're... If you have loved ones, or it could be you, if, if anybody, where you're suffering or you're praying and you're hoping for God to do something, keep praying, keep hoping. It took 17 years to get me to where I was able to get off of the drugs, but God was faithful. God answered my mom's prayer. She died knowing that her son got off drugs and was now a changed person. So I want to tell you, just continue praying because yeah. God is going to do something if you keep praying and not give up. Amen. Can we give it up for Willem now? Powerful. I'm going to invite the worship team. And we're going to take a moment of worship, inviting the Holy Spirit to encounter us even at a deeper level. And I, wasn't, I didn't do this in the first service, but I feel led to kind of push the envelope little further in this service usually we don't have we call it altar call but we don't have an altar right this is just an open space if you have a need in your life that you've been believing for that you need prayer for as we sing this worship song together i'm going to invite you up forward and i have we have a prayer team that are going to be up here to pray for you specifically for what you're believing for and I believe as we do this, the Spirit of God is going to move. He's going to be unleashed. But before we do that, I invite us to all stand and just worship. And as the song begins, just make your way up here. If you're so led to, right? It's time to get up and come forward. Leave your place of comfort and encounter the Holy Spirit. Sing. <laughs> 